You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good morning. It was great to have the opportunity to meet some of you who are new to MCC, and it's great to see so many of you coming back week after week. And those that are joining us online, we're great, grateful to have that tool to be able to reach out into your homes and to your cars. On your way in, you received a program that talks about all the things that are going on right now here, upcoming events. Please take a look at that. And inside is a Get Connected card. That's very important to us, whether it's your first time here or whether you're a weekly attender to let us know what's going on in your life. There's a place to commit to things on the back that are coming up, but please fill that out. And later in the service, you can leave that with one of us up front or with one of the greeters out at the door. Well, as we conclude our series this week, The Signal of the Savior, I want you to turn to a very familiar passage. It's where we actually began the series, and that is in John, John chapter 14, the fourth gospel in the New Testament, the gospel of John chapter 14. Now, the last couple of weeks, I'm sure that you enjoyed Bigelow, our youth pastor, and our associate pastor, Brandon, speaking. I know that I enjoyed coming and listening to them, Brandon's sincerity and Bigelow's enthusiasm. You just, you just can't beat either one of them. And last week, Brandon told us about that, that occasion in his life where he saw his wife, Amanda, for the very first time as she came through the back door. And he, he talked about this rented suit that he had and the expression on his face as she, he saw his radiant bride. And so I, I had to call his family this week and get a picture of that day. And, and so they sent me this picture right here. <laughs> he was very, very young, but he was excited that day to see, to see his bride. You know, we wish... Every one of us, we, we wish, we pray, we hope for promises, promises that are kept. Yet we live in a world today where promises are made every day and they certainly, certainly do not live up to what has been promised. We, we are promised results, we're promised cures, we're promised relationships, you know, here it is the end of January. How many of you were promised that if you'd go on this diet, right? If you go on this diet, you're certain to lose weight. Well, they didn't tell you that the weight you lost is going to chase you around and catch right back up with you and bring a few friends with it, right? Right? We're, we're promised. Remember? Remember? Gosh, I've lost track of time. A, a year and a half ago, if you take this vaccine, well, what are we on, number six now? If you take this vaccine... They didn't say it will help you. They said it will prevent you from having the virus. And yet, yet the virus breaks through these promised protections. Websites. Well, websites promising the perfect match between two country folk, right? Right? Last night, Carly had her bib overalls on, you know? Only to discover, though, not true love, but to find out that she's actually from the city. How did she get on that website, right? For, it's supposed to just be for farmers only. We have the promise of science today. That a biological male can transition into a female or vice versa. Yet that promise is empty. It has left thousands of people hopeless, disillusioned depressed, even suicidal. 
Friends, we are saturated with promises that are sure to disappoint. And more than ever, we find ourselves struggling in this. Yet, for every problem in life, God has given us a promise. One student of Scripture spent two years trying to list all of the promises of God by going through Scripture, and they came up with 7,487 promises. Now, some promises are positive. The assurance of blessing. You walk in this promise, you will experience blessing in your life. Other promises are negative, right? You commit adultery, you're going to be dealing with pain and hurt the rest of your life. It doesn't go away. Yes, you can be forgiven, but there are promises that are certainly negative consequences that, that are certain to happen. But all of God's promises are binding. All of God's promise are, are true because God's not only a promise maker, but he's a promise what? Keeper. He's a promise keeper. His promises are real. They're not imagined. And in the face of life's challenges and circumstances, uncertainty and disappointments, we can lean on these promises. They're eternally kept. And my proposition for you today is that they are hope for the world. Now this weekend, as we conclude this series on the return of Christ, we go back to a command that has a promise attached to it. And it's one, it is, the, it is the thing on which we have hinged our hope of Jesus Christ's return. Let's look together in John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus speaks these words in the wake of all the promises that he's made. He speaks these words about his return. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Now, I think this is one of the hardest commands for us to keep. Because there is so much to be troubled about these days. Yet he commands us, don't let your heart be troubled. But with this command, he gives us this promise. Remember, trust God, trust also in me, in my father's house or many rooms. And we've talked about that. If it were not so, he said, I would have told you. But I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there to prepare a place for you, I will what? I will return for you that you may be where I am. Now the problem with this is two words. Trust me. And for us, it's really one word. And that's me. We can't be trusted. We can't trust the people around us. Every one of us in this room has had someone say to you, just trust me. And they have left you disappointed, disillusioned, broken, but not so with God. God alone can be completely trusted. And God signals the return of Jesus Christ by establishing a level of trust that no other can live up to. And so let's begin here. The hope of the world, Jesus Christ. I can be certain. You can be certain. We can be certain of Christ's return. Why? Because he's proven himself completely trustworthy. Completely. Now, if you were concerned about your finances and someone came to you and said, hey, 
Hey, I, I can take your debts. Uh, I, I can take your, your assets. And, and I can pull all of this together for you. And I can have you living debt free just within a few months. Well, you would be intrigued by that. That's, that's, a, that's a great promise. But wouldn't you do some background on that person, right? Wouldn't you want to talk to some references? Wouldn't you want to see for yourself that they could be trusted with, with something as significant as your finances? What about a doctor? What about a physician? And someone says, hey, I want you to meet this physician. They were able to deal with this disease, this challenge in my life like no one else could. Well, well that's, no one wouldn't be excited about that, right? We all long to meet that physician, but yet we wouldn't just go and let him treat us without seeing evidence, right, of his ability to heal, of his ability through his procedures to, to correct the problem we we're about to bring to him. Let me share with you five of the most significant ways that Jesus has proven we can trust him. The first is this. Jesus is trustworthy because of his supernatural identity. His supernatural identity. Jesus said in John 14, 9, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen who? You've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen God. Why? Because me and the Father, he says, we are one. And we know Jesus was no ordinary man. He was God making a physical appearance on the earth. The Bible, the Bible affirms his divine credentials from the moment he arrived. Matthew 1, the Virgin Mary. The Virgin Mary conceived a child born of the Holy Spirit and his name was Emmanuel, God with us. Now there is a ton of other historical evidence outside of the Bible, if you feel that you rely more on those things than you do God's word, confirming that Jesus was a real person, that he actually walked this planet. Roman historians corroborate his existence. First century scholar, aristocrat, military leader, Flavius Josephus. He served in Galilee in 66 AD, although he's not a Christ follower himself. He was there. He spoke to eyewitnesses. He wrote. He wrote one of the earliest non-biblical accounts of Jesus. But let me remind you of something. I, I don't mind, and I'll do it all day with you if you want. In fact, there's books written on this. I don't mind spending time with you pointing out how archaeology, how historians have proven the validity of Scripture. Let, let me just tell you about the Bible. The Bible is the most reliable historical account that there is. It can't be proved unreliable. People have. Even the world admits that it's 99.9% .9 reliable. We know it's 100%. They just haven't gotten there yet. We don't need any other evidence of Jesus' supernatural identity. He said who he is, and we believe who he is, and we believe all of those who followed him and gave their life because they believe so firmly in who he is. Jesus, the creator of the universe, the creator of all things, including you and me, the one who has always been and always will be, he says, trust me, trust me. 
Second, Jesus is trustworthy because of his flawless integrity. Boy, there's a word that you don't hear very often associated with men and women today, integrity. His record was spotless. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way, yet he was without sin. What's that imply? It implies that as a small child, he never sassed his mother. He never lied to his dad about where he had been. He never cheated in school. As an adult, he kept the law perfectly. He asked his enemies, which of you accused me of sin? And none of them could. If Brandon stood up this morning and said, if anyone accuses me of sin, come forward, there'd be a line. His wife would be at the front of the line. But in a hostile courtroom, the Pontius Pilate said, I find no fault with this man. His flawless integrity. Jesus deserves our trust because of his miraculous power. His miraculous power. Only Jesus could make the diseased well, the deaf to hear, the demons to flee, the dead come back to life. One politician of his day, Nicodemus, remember Nicodemus and the early chapters of John admitted in John 3, 2, Jesus, we know that you're a man of God because no one can do what you do. No one can perform the miracles that you perform were, were God not with him. He deserves our trust because he has the full backing of heaven at his command. Jesus is trustworthy because of his sacrificial death. His sacrificial death. Not his murder, his sacrificial death. The religious leaders of his day set in motion a chain of events to put him to death out of fear and envy, but Jesus permitted it. He said, no one takes my life from me, but I give it up on my own accord. He said, I lay down my life as a ransom for many. The Bible says God laid on him the iniquity, the sin debt of us all. True story. Let's say that you were six months behind on your mortgage payment. And you get that dreaded call. You've already received notices in the mail. You get that dreaded call, come into the bank. We need to talk. And you know, just as sure as you sit down in that banker's chair, they're going to do what? They're going to hand you a foreclosure notice, and they're going to let you know that they're coming after your house. You've got 30 days to get out. True story. So you walk into that bank expecting that. The debt's too much for you to pay. And you sit down, and the banker looks you in the eye, and you know what he's going to say. But instead, he says, I want you to know that a relative came in and paid your past due six months. But not only did they pay your past due six months, they went ahead and paid off the mortgage, the entire house that now belongs to you. Well, you'd walk away so grateful, as did my friend. I've never seen or heard of anything like that, except for the reality that each of us, without Christ, we are in over our head. We have a sin debt we cannot pay. And eviction to eternal hell is coming. But Jesus came and he paid it all off. He who knew no sin became sin for us. 
John, who's recording these words for us, this promise today, he stood in front of that cross on which Jesus allowed himself to be placed. He witnessed the result of all sin, the sin debt of Pilate's indecision, the so-called little sins of false accusations and lies, Peter's denial, your sin, and my sin. He saw it all. And Jesus merits our total trust today because he sacrificed his life for us. We can trust him because no one cares for us. No rich relative, no politician, no pastor cares for us the way Christ does. And he's proven that. And finally, Jesus is worthy of our trust because of his predicted resurrection. Jesus predicted the impossible. He said, we're going up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. But on the third day, I'm going to come back from the grave. No one believed that. But he did exactly what he said he was going to do. Now, if a man can predict his resurrection, he's proven to me, and he does it, he's proven to me that he's trustworthy. And so when Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled, trust in God, trust in me, I'm coming back for you. I believe him, don't you? Here's the second takeaway for this weekend. And that is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, death is not the end, it's the beginning. Now, unchurched people, yes, they may believe. In fact, I, I, I submit to you that everyone understands that there is a God. Those who claim to be atheists, those who claim to be agnostics, number one, they've probably been disappointed by the church, and so they would just as soon push back and say they're not associated in any way with God. And number two, most of them are just rebellious. They've made themselves God. But let me tell you, one day, one day every person, every person will acknowledge the truth that there's one God, his name is Jesus Christ, and every knee will bow before him. Remember part of Jesus going to prepare a place for us in John 14 too was his going to the cross. Dying of our sins, being buried in a tomb, and rising on the third day. I wish I could have come up with this myself, but I read it from another preacher this way. He said, when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. When he came out of that tomb that day, he signaled for the rest of time, for all eternity, that he put an end to death being the end. Now these, these people who believe but, but have not engaged that belief or applied that belief, who have not sat and heard scripture taught, who have not looked to scripture themselves, when this moment comes, when death for them comes and you're standing at the service and, and, you're, and you're saying for the believer, death isn't the end, it's the beginning. They just look at you like you've got three heads. That should not be so for the Christian. 
Never again will death have the last word for the follower of Christ. Jesus' death and resurrection is proof and preview. It's the basis of our hope. Romans chapter 6. I want you to hold your place there, John, and I want you to just turn a couple books back. You're going to find Acts, and then you're going to find Romans there. In Romans chapter 6, it explains the certainty of our hope. You want to know, how can I be sure that I'm saved? How can I know for sure that death is not the end for me? Listen to this. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Why is baptism so important, such an important part of our salvation? Why? Because baptism is a physical representation of what Jesus Christ has done spiritually inside of us. Do you remember the story? I, I tell it often. The account in Luke that, that talks about the four guys who brought the paralytic to Jesus, right? The house was so packed that day, they, they, they knew that they wanted him to know Jesus. And so they take this paralytic up on the roof. They spend an hour or two digging through. Finally, they lower that man in front of Jesus. And what's the first thing that Jesus says to him? Does he say, get up and walk? No. He says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And all the religious in the room that day said, oh, that's blasphemy. Who is he? Who is he to forgive sins? And then what does Jesus say? So that you'll know that I have the power to forgive sins. Get up and walk. The physical was used to demonstrate the spiritual. Does it make sense? That's where Paul's leading us. Here, when we lay down in that water right here, not sprinkled, the, the Bible doesn't even give any indication of sprinkling. It's not me, it's the Bible. Catholic Bibles, if you happen to have one, go to this same chapter and verse. If it happens to have footnotes, it will tell you right there, tell you right there that baptism by immersion was the original form of baptism. It's the only form. Baptizo, to be buried. When you and I are buried in that water, it represents us being buried with Jesus Christ. When Christ was buried, what did he take with him? He took with him the sins of all men. And when he came up out of that water, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he lived a new life in God. And the same thing happens with us. You believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You want to accept him as Savior and Lord of your life. Then you have to die with him. And you have to be resurrected to live a new life. And let me tell you why that's so important. Look at verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, 
we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, this is the good part, he can't die again. He died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, everything changes. Death itself changes. The scripture says that death no longer has mastery over us. Does it you? These last two or three years, I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've walked with many of you in this room where death, our own mortality, we stared it in the face. And some of us were scared out of our socks. What happens if I get this? What happens if I don't survive this? Well, for the Christian, you get to be home with the Lord. Oh, but, but that's future. No, it's today. The moment you take your last breath, here's the first breath here. Death isn't the end anymore. Death is the beginning. Because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, everything changes. Death changes. The cemetery changes. Once we went there to say goodbye, now we go there to say we'll be together again soon. Because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, it is safe to believe that the promises made by him are promises kept. And it's also safe to believe in eternal bodies that are recognizable. Because he's risen from the dead, it's safe to believe heaven is real and we'll be reunited with those who've gone before us. Because he resurrected from the dead, it's safe to trust in a time when questions won't keep us awake at night. When pain won't keep us down. It's safe to believe in tearless days and endless days of joy and celebration. And my friends, it is safe to believe. It is safe to trust and hope in his promised return. And if I go, he said, and prepare a place for you, which he did, I will come for you that you too may be where I am. I really thought you guys would be up spinning and twirling at that one. <laughs> 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I can't believe it. 10 years ago this March 2nd, it's the anniversary that the tornado ripped through Borden and Peak and countless other communities. But Henryville, you remember that day. One of our Collide students was in the first grade the day that the tornado hit. His mom and dad work south of Sellersburg, New Albany. They saw the weather reports, as did many. They saw the storm was, the predicted storm was coming, and they had no idea how fast it would come, but they knew they couldn't get up here in time to pick up their first grader from school. And so they called Grandma and Grandpa, who lived in Henryville, just two blocks from the school. And before they could get out the door, the first tornado hit the school. Hail was coming down. The wind was blowing. It was a storm like no others. If you saw the hail hitting these vehicles, it, it literally crushed vehicles with people in them. 
And that grandpa left his house in the middle of that hailstorm, and he ran to the school that was now demolished. You've seen pictures before of what it looked like. And his grandson, his, his <clears throat> first grade grandson, described his rescue this way. Pap, that's his grandpa, pulled me out of the window, covered me up, and carried me in the hail to the, the Legion Hall, one of the only buildings besides the Catholic Church that wasn't, that wasn't affected by the storm. When his parents, Jason and Amy Toby, finally arrived, they found their son Jackson covered in a Red Cross blanket in the bleeding arms of his pap. Now that afternoon on March 2nd, that's a moment the two parents, Amy and Jason, will never forget. They will never forget the bravery of a grandfather who loved his grandson so that he would risk his own life to save him. But parents and grandparents, that is about the extent of what we can do. We cannot even touch what Jesus Christ promises to do. 2,000 years ago, after coming the first time to this earth as a babe, born to a virgin, the one and only Son of God came that whoever would believe in him, whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish, no matter the storms of life. Death is not the end for those who believe. But they would be saved, that they would have everlasting life. No longer fearful of perishing. This same Jesus laid down his sinless life for us, rescuing us from the storm of sin that is so wrecking our lives today in our world, proving that we can trust him. Why can we trust him, church? Because of his supernatural identity, his flawless integrity, his miraculous power, his predicted resurrection his resurrection from the grave. He's the one who says, trust me. Trust me. I'll come for you. It was Thomas who spoke up that day in verse 5 of John chapter 14. He said, Lord, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And they were right. They didn't know where they were going. Can any one of you point to where heaven is today? We know what's out there. We've got telescopes. We've got spaceships. We've yet to see it. Yet we know it's there. Of course Thomas didn't know where it is. But we have no excuse today for not knowing the way. Jesus made that clear in verse 6 when he said, Thomas, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one goes to the Father. No one comes to the Father unless I come and get him. Unless he's in me. Unless he's been buried with me. Only then can he rise with me and be with him. Young Jackson told me that March the 2nd, he will never forget. He'll never forget 
that no matter what, wherever he is, no matter the storm or the damage all around him, his parents will do everything and anything, whatever it takes to come to him and bring him home. Every young person needs to understand that reality in their home. But because Jackson Toby surrendered his life to Jesus Christ as a young man, was buried with him in baptism to rise to walk in the newness of life, he can be certain that where his parents are powerless, Jesus Christ is not. That when the worst of the worst comes, when I say the worst of the worst, when evil has done its best and is doing its best in death and destruction, Jesus Christ will come and he will take you by the hand and he will lead you home. He will lead you home, whether he comes individually for you or the day that he comes collectively for all of us as his word promises. John writes, yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, the name of Jesus, he, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. <clears throat> Saturday nights are special here. People get the raw, unedited version. By, by the time I get here on Sunday, I've had my wife beat it into me and a couple elders pull me aside and, you know, we've adjusted the script a little bit. Not really. Well, except for Sarah. She does get after me. But last night during the plea, I, I said, you know, if, if you have not been buried with Christ, <laughs> if you're not certain about your hope when he returns for you, then you come. I said the water's warm. I just put a new heater in myself. It, it's warm. It's been running the last three days, heating that water up. Don't make us waste $300 on electricity this week. <laughs> I said, the water's warm. I even got a change of clothes for you, and then it came out. I said, even if I didn't have a change of clothes, we could just get in there naked, and we could turn all the lights off. <laughs> Someone watching online text me, you know. I always get these messages. I, I do appreciate hearing from people online, but they, they said, I can see the new motto now, right? Born into this world naked, born again naked, right? <laughs> of all the signals and questions God has addressed in his word about the second coming, we've tried to hit as many of them as we can in this series, my friends. Of all the questions his return generates discussion over, just think of all of the the discussions that you've had about the millennium and whether you're pre, pro, or all, or whatever, all the things that we get hung up on that make no matter to the reality that he's promised his return. The only question that must be answered before his return is, am I a child of God? Have I been buried with him so that death is no longer death but the beginning? And that's the question that I pose to you today. Have you made certain of that? Can you say, when that day comes and you're burying your child, as some in this room have buried five or six, when you're burying your parent, 
when you're burying your spouse, what a terrible day because of the absence of their physical presence. But can you say, oh, I know they're at rest, I know they're, no. Can you say they are alive and in heaven with Jesus Christ and today's not goodbye, today is I'm gonna see you soon. Can you say that with all confidence? Because if you can't, nothing else matters. Nothing else, nothing else. Please, please of all the things to be certain about, this is it. Let's stand together and let's pray. <coughs> Father, thank you for your love for us. So much so that you would send Jesus Christ. And Father, we, we, gosh, we talk about this and we, we pray this and we thank you about this all the time when we're together. But, but Father, I'm just saddened. I've seen so many these last three years that you have you've gone ahead and come for and, and and not because of COVID but because of whatever because it was their time because their days are numbered and you're the one who knows but I'm so saddened when even people in the church can't say with certainty that their loved ones with you they walk around fearing death every day whether it's a virus or whether it's a car accident or whether it's running out of oxygen planet that's overheated instead of being confident it isn't the end it's the beginning father I pray that this church will continue to be a beacon of truth to the world around us that every person in here will be a beacon of truth that those who believe those who have engaged you can be certain of your promised return. Father, we love you and we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're certain this morning, then you celebrate. You live like it. But if you're not, come. Come, let's pray together. Let, let's talk about these questions. Let's take some next steps together. And for heaven's sakes, if God's brought you here and you're ready to be baptized into him to walk certain in new life then go ahead and come we won't make you get naked we'll put some clothes on you and the water's still warm come as we sing